Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Sharp Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, February 9th, we are studying Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 to 14. In today's text, St. Paul calls the Galatians away from the foolishness of finding righteousness in the works of the law, and he points them toward the true righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, the one who has redeemed us from the curse of the law, so that we would have the blessing of God through faith. Today's episode of Sharper Iron is being broadcast live as a part of the Texas Lutheran Writers Roundup, hosted by Faith Lutheran High School in Central Texas. Both of our guests are with us this morning in front of a live studio audience there in Warda. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, our first guest is the Reverend Dr. Brian Ketchelmeyer. He serves at Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Ketchelmeyer, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Hey, it is great to be here. And we also have with us Pastor Dustin Beck. He serves at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas, and also teaches theology there at the high school. Pastor Beck, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Good morning, Pastor Apple. Glad to be with you. How many writers do you have rounded up today? I don't know. I think that, I think there might be seven this year. You know, we're we're getting to the point where there are so many Lutheran writers here in Texas that you know we're we're having to kind of say, oh, we we got more than we have time for. We could just keep this thing going all day, but you know, other people have other things going on. Fantastic. So we got a good event planned. God be praised. We have the opportunity to study Galatians chapter 3, the first part of that chapter, together this morning. Pastor Beck, would you give us an introduction? Talk to us a little bit about the book of Galatians and the context leading up to our text for today. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Galatians is um, it's an interesting book. Uh, in Galatians, we get to see Paul when he's really upset. Right. Um, I think there are there are other times. And I, I know that Sharper Iron just recently uh, studied First and Second Corinthians, and you saw a little bit of Paul's temper flare there as well. But in Galatians, uh, Paul has this church that he has uh, he has helped to establish, or these churches, I should say, in the region of Galatia. Um, it's during his second missionary journey, and then it seems like almost as soon as he's moved on to the next place, which is what Paul did, um, as soon as he's gone, uh, these other folks had kind of filled that void. These other folks had shown up. And the gospel that they were preaching, the gospel that they were uh, leading the folks into, it wasn't the gospel at all. It was uh, to bring them uh, almost back into Judaism, to bring them in a, into a, a Judaized Christianity. And uh, so when Paul catches wind of it, I, I just imagine that he, um, he sits down and he furiously writes this letter. If you've ever written a, a hasty email or something like that, um, <laughs> Paul writes it and he sends it. Um, and you can see uh, even in our text today, some of the incendiary language that he uses to just say, you know, I mean, you guys don't understand how bad this is. I mean, it's as if you've been bewitched. It's he, he calls them fools twice in three verses, which I think is a is a record for Paul. Um, he goes out of his way to say um, how upset he is, how heartbroken he is over the fact that. They had this beautiful gospel, and it almost seems like they're just going to abandon it, cast it aside for for works, for the law, for getting righteous by doing stuff. Mm. Yeah. Pastor Ketchelmeyer, would you, would you add a little bit as to what Paul has been talking about leading up to chapter 3 in this epistle? 
Well, I think the issue at hand here is going to be justification as a doctrine. I mean, we as Lutherans, we know that this is the article upon which the church stands or falls. Uh, the, the option that you have here is either you follow God's word with this beautiful doctrine of a received righteousness through faith alone, all because of the person and work of Christ, or the other option is self-righteousness. It's an achieved righteousness, something that you do. And it, Paul's addressing this issue that now these people want to fall back into this area of self-righteousness, self-justification, and it's about works. It's about how you achieve something before God that you make yourself right before God by your actions. So this is what Paul is really addressing here, and he's going to get through this whole letter of this distinction between either it's it's sons of the promise or it's going to be uh, sons of the slave, slavery Hmm. into works righteousness. And so that's going to be the whole issue at hand. All right, let's go ahead and take a look at the text. We're reading from Galatians chapter 3 this morning, beginning at verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. That is our text for today, Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 to 14. Pastor Beck, you mentioned that in the first three verses, Paul calls the Galatians fools twice. Talk to us about how he opens up there. What What's their foolishness? Well, first, I think that we should just say that this gives pastors permission to speak thusly to their kind. No, that's, that's not what we're, that's not what the text is about. No. <laughs> um, what's going on in this text is he's trying to make a point. I mean, he's, he's just moved uh, from the section at the end of chapter two, where he's been talking about Abraham as the man of faith. He's talked about how he even stood up to, uh, to Peter when Peter was, you know, sort of, he was one way when it was, you know, just the Gentiles and then the, the folks from Jerusalem showed up and all of a sudden he pulled back a little bit. Um, he roots it all in this, you know, we who are Jews by birth, we know that a person is not justified by these works of the law, but by faith in Jesus. And he, he has that, that wonderful verse in uh, 220, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He's really raised up the uh, the stakes here. He's raised up the ante to the point that, you know, now we're talking about the central doctrine, doctrine of the church. As uh, Pastor Kachelmeyer said, um, 
this is the article on which the church stands or falls. If you get justification wrong, you're going to get every other thing wrong too. And so Paul's working himself up here and, and it's Galatians is such a beautiful letter because I mean, it's, it's one that you know, any of our listeners could sit down and read in you know, probably 20 minutes, but it, he just crafts this beautiful argument over the course of it. Um, even though he's, yeah, he's emotional, he's upset. Um, but when he calls them fools, uh, when he asks who has bewitched you, um, I, I love this. I, I, I was, I was looking at a couple of commentaries and, um, looking at uh, a couple of the, um, uh, well, a couple of the uh, grammars as well. And this, uh, this word bewitched, uh, this is the only time it shows up, uh, in the New Testament. Um, but this, in other literature, it sort of almost refers to uh, somebody who has uh, has their eyes taken off of something, right? So uh, your eyes, you know, you talk about the window, the soul or whatever, but you're bewitched by the eyes, uh, by taking your eyes off of where they're supposed to be. Uh, and then look what he says in the very next uh, sentence, who has bewitched you. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Of course, um, that doesn't mean that any of the Galatians were there, um, you know, when Jesus died and was was, was crucified. Uh, but Paul, by his preaching of Christ crucified, uh, which he, you know, that was the centerpiece of his his proclamation. Apparently, he did a good job of portraying this, of of of, of explaining just why and, and proclaiming just why. The crucifixion and death of Jesus means your salvation. So you've seen it. You had your eyes in the right way, and now your eyes have been taken off of Christ, no longer fixed on the uh, author and perfecter of our faith, but instead they're just uh, they're going off uh, after this other thing. So you can understand why Paul gets worked up here. Absolutely. He, he's very worked up. It strikes me, you mentioned First and Second Corinthians, I think, previously, other letters we've read recently here on Sharper Iron, where Paul calls the Galatians foolish here. And I don't know if it's the exact same word in Greek that he uses in First Corinthians chapter one, but he talks about a different foolishness that Christians do have, the foolishness of the cross. Here it's the foolishness of the Galatians to forsake the cross and to to seek after the yeah. worldly wisdom of of salvation through works. Yeah. So the, the issue here of of being a fool is that uh, without God's word, we cannot be wise. Uh, God is wisdom, and he's the one who gives us wisdom, and he gives us his wisdom through his word. In, in fact, Jesus is eternal wisdom. Jesus is mm. incarnate wisdom. And then, of course, it's through the word that you have the spirit of wisdom. If you go through any other way, any other man means uh, or method of trying to make God merciful, I mean, that's what idolatry is all about. That's what we're warned about in the whole Old Testament, and that's really what uh, a self-justification is. It's a justification by your works, trying to be righteous by your achieved righteousness. And so you become a fool uh, without the, the Holy Spirit, without the word of God. Uh, you are stuck and dead in your own sin. And so you can't know the truth or the reality. And even though they've heard the gospel, yet they're falling back into the old folly of the world without God's word. So they're, they've become foolish. And this whole idea of being bewitched, I, I really like that, that understanding of being bewitched. It's, it, it's when you have a demonic influence, it's being demonized. It's the mm. doctrine of demons. It's taking you away from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes with God's word. The doctrine of demons is always a different word, always trying to take you away from God's word, trying to take you into the ways of the world away from God. So, I mean, this is really a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle for the soul. 
soul that's been going on ever since the Garden of Eden. When we had the clear word of God given to Adam and the devil comes in, the serpent slithers in and he says, did God really say that? And so somehow Eve was, if you will, bewitched by mm -hmm. the devil there because her eyes were, were looking to a different word, looking to a, a, a different wisdom than the wisdom of God. Yeah, yeah, that's those are very helpful comments to that matter of being bewitched. So Paul calls them fools. He says that their eyes have been distracted from what they should have been seeing, what he had very clearly preached to them that Jesus Christ is crucified for them. He asks a what sounds like a rhetorical question in verse two. Pastor Beck, can you help us with that question? Yeah. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Um, I mean, he's already covered this. Right. This was this was the the contents of chapter two. This was um, what got Paul work, so worked up in chapter one in the first place um, is that they had abandoned the gospel that they received, the gospel that Paul preached. Um, he said, if you've abandoned that for something else, you've what you've received isn't gospel at all. Um, it's, there is no other gospel. There's one good news. Um, and it is that received uh, that which is received by faith as pastor Kachelmeyer said, it's it's the word of God that makes us wise. And apart from that word of God, we're left with. Well, I mean, our own words, we're left with our own wisdom, right? And uh, the uh, beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. It's, the, it's his instruction. And apart from that, there is no wisdom, okay? So this, I, do, I do read this as a rhetorical question. Did you receive the Spirit uh, by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Um, it's the second one. We've already covered that. That was chapter two. That was uh, that was the whole point of uh, of telling us that uh, that Paul had died through the law, but then now he has been crucified with Christ, and he's alive in Christ because Christ has raised him up by the proclamation, and in Paul's case, by the road to Damascus, when Jesus showed up and said, "Hey, I'm risen." If I could just add a little bit more sure. to that. So Please. again, that, that question, the questions in the scripture are beautiful and wonderful. The Holy Spirit gives us questions. They are questions of meditation and contemplation. Hmm. And basically what uh, these questions do is they undo the question of the devil. I mean, the devil in the beginning, hmm. did God yeah. really say that? And so that's why God comes yeah. into the garden, the second person of the Holy Trinity. He's seeking to save the lost. And he says, where are you? Okay, that's a question. It's not mm -hmm. that God doesn't know where they are, but the question is a question of reflection. Where are you and what happened? Why are you hiding from me? I mean, that's really the question. But God's questions always take us back to the scripture. The devil's questions always take us away from the scripture because the devil's questions always cause doubt. And so that's the whole issue of eyes again. The only way that we can have eyes to see is if we have God's word. And so this whole idea of Christ being publicly portrayed or portrayed in a way that you hear with your ears, but you're actually seeing with your mm -hmm. ears. And it's not like Eve that saw the fruit because of the question of the devil and thought it was good to eat and she took and she ate. But instead, the whole issue here is the contrast between works of the law, which is self-righteousness or a, a works righteousness system, a man-made method of making God merciful. But the problem is you can't make God merciful. You can't. He is merciful. Mm -hmm. And so you have the promise that for the sake of Jesus, we have found favor with God. He's the one who has earned or merited or gained favor for us, and he gives us his righteousness. So the contrast here is, is works of the law. It's something that you are doing or really hearing about faith. 
In other words, hearing about the doctrine of justification, because that's what uh, Paul was just talking about in Galatians chapter 2. This is the doctrine of justification. This is what we know, that we can't make ourselves right before God by our own actions or efforts. Instead, it is a received righteousness that is uh, given to us through the promise, and it's the blessing of God comes through the word of God, and we we cling to this through faith. So really, you're hearing about faith, and now we're going to hear about faith when we hear about the faith of Abraham. Abraham becomes the one who is the epitome of receiving this gift from God. Because remember, again, Abraham, our forefather, he was uh, worshiping all kinds of things. Right. <laughs> he was, yeah. and call it, or, he, he's out there and he's worshiping, who knows, all kinds, uh, the ways of the world, okay? Hmm. These, these uh, um, idolatry, because that's what idolatry is. It's worship without God's word. And that's where Abraham was. And so every time in the Old Testament, when you see a Gentile being converted to faith, this is teaching us about the doctrine of justification, because it's not about the efforts that the Gentile did that made him right in God's sight, but instead it was about the promise of God and being converted to faith through the Holy Spirit. So when we're hearing about faith, we're going to hear about Abraham, who becomes the epitome of being justified uh, through faith alone. Hmm. Pastor Ketramal, you're talking about God's questions taking us back to the Scripture, and we have a number of those questions from St. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit in this text. Take us into the the ones in 3, verse 3, are you so foolish? And then he adds to what he said previously. He says, now, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So in verse 2, it was, did you receive the Spirit in this way? And now, how are you going to continue? We have another question that draws us back into that same scriptural background. Yeah. So again, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about the Holy Spirit separated from the Word of God. So it's not about an experience. It's not about some extra biblical vision or sign or wonder or something that is ripped apart from God's Word. The Holy Spirit comes with God's Word. And so when you start with the Holy Spirit, you began with the Spirit through the proclamation of the word of God. That's how the, the spirit comes. I mean, think of the, the, the understanding where the father speaks. That means the father is sending forth the son. But when the father speaks the word, the son is sent forth. That word also has the breath. And so you have both the word and the spirit that come together. You can't separate the two. And so you've begun by the spirit, by hearing this word about Jesus, about justification. It's hearing about the doctrine of justification, which comes only through the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit gives us that word in the gospel. But then if you go to perfecting it by the flesh, this is now about your efforts, about your works, about what you're doing. So it's again, it's not about receiving, it's about achieving. And so if it's about achieving, it's about you and what you do to make yourself righteous before God by your act of righteousness. But Paul's saying, we've already had this conversation. You know, I already taught you the doctrine of justification. Why are we falling back into this? And this is what Luther will say over and over again, is that this is the one article that we've got to relearn again and again and again, because it's Mm -hmm. so easy to forget. It's so easy to neglect. It's so easy to say, oh, I started with justification. Now I'm going to go to more important things like uh, sanctification. And that's really the spirit-filled life. Well, no, justification is the spirit-filled life because it comes from the Holy Spirit. And so this is going to be the issue again uh, of a question. 
you're asking this question. You began with the Spirit, okay? Uh, you've been justified. You have faith, gift of God, about what God has done for you to bring reconciliation between uh, sinners uh, and the Creator. But now that's how you've begun. So why are you just going to just put that aside and now go towards something completely different? I mean, so that works of the law, the the, the flesh, that, that's what you do. It's an achieved righteousness. Hmm. Pastor Beck, I can't see you, but I'm guessing you want to say something. Oh, how did you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, I, I just, this is, this is a, um, Paul does this several times in Galatians, um, where he, he, he almost kind of, you would say he very thinly or very, very just, very briefly sort of alludes to what the problem is, what the, the elephant in the room is. Um, of course, the folks that came in behind Paul uh, were what is known as the circumcision party which doesn't sound like a very fun party to me. Um, the folks from the circumcision party want to take these Gentile Christians. I see you laughing there on the screen, Pastor Apple. It's, I only know two jokes, and that's one of them. <laughs> that was the other. Thank you. Thank you, the live studio audience. They are lively this morning. Uh, <laughs> um, now, so, <laughs> excuse me. The group that came in after Paul, their goal, their mission, uh, was to take these Gentile, newly, you know, newly uh, believing Christians and to say, you know what? Uh, it would be a lot better if you were just a little bit more like us. These are the Judaizers. These are the ones that, you know, were brought up in uh, in Judaism, and then they received faith in Christ, and they were excited about all of that. Uh, but the big question is, um, is Christianity sort of going to pick up where Judaism left off, or is Christianity going to go back further, all the way back to Abraham, we would, we would imagine here, um, and say, you know, um, I mean, circumcision doesn't count for anything. So when he says, have you been uh, begun by the spirit and you're now going to be perfected by the flesh? I think that that's a he, there's a little bit of a wink, wink, you know, kind of a nod, nod thing where, um, you know, the thing that is lacking in you is not that you be circumcised. OK, we see this uh, in Paul's ministry, uh, especially with Titus, whom he does not have circumcised um, because uh, we are not under that covenant. That's that's a, that's the old covenant. That's the, the, the covenant that comes after um Abraham is the man of faith. Uh, that's the covenant that is added later as a sign of it. So, yeah, um, this this question, are you going to be perfected by the flesh? Um, it is asking, you know, faith comes first and then, you know, the works, uh, you know, you got to keep working, you know, like God's going to get you started. But then you got to finish the job or something like that. That that couldn't be, you know, it couldn't be further from the truth. It couldn't be further from what God has given us. And um, uh, our our. One of our uh, authors who is here, he just walked in right now, right? Our, our Sunday morning, our Wednesday morning Bible class is going through a book, uh, Has American Christianity Failed? And this is one of the points that is made in that book is that um, if you're begun in the spirit and then you're going to be completed by the flesh, we actually call that pietism. We call that, you know, sort of couching your, uh, your faith and your life as a Christian in your increase and your improvement over time in terms of your works and that's just not what the Bible teaches. That's that's putting us back under the law, and that's saying that, well, the gospel was good, and I got you in the door, but how do you stay in the door? Well, you better work your tail off, okay? Uh, you better get that flesh moving, uh, or else, well, you might just find your way back out the back door. Yeah, so that's my mm -hmm. thoughts on verse 3. Who is that author that just walked in? Oh, that's Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. Oh, fantastic. Hi. You see him back there in the back, Pastor Apple? Yeah, he's waving at you. I see that. That's fantastic. Oh, we lost fantastic. our <laughs> Pastor, Pastor Beck, Pastor Ketchelmeyer, verse 4, Paul asks another question. He talks about suffering things. What kinds of suffering does he have there in mind there? <laughs> 
did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? I, I mean, so the, the issue here, we're, we're talking about converts, okay? We're, we're talking about Gentile converts to the faith, all right? So they had a, a different system. They had a different means or method of trying to make God merciful before. And when you convert from paganism into Christianity, you're still going to have this connection with the community, the family, uh, people who are going to call into question, why are you rejecting what the ancestors have taught? Mm-hmm. You know, why are you rejecting what the culture has cultivated you to believe to be true? And so this is, it, it's a severing of ties. And so when you are brought into the family of God, adopted by grace uh, through holy baptism into God's family, named and claimed by him that now all of a sudden you are in a different family. And so you're being separated from your earthly family. You could be separated from your father, your mother, uh, your own children, uh, cousins, aunts, uncles, uh, grandparents. I mean, it, there's a separation there. So there, there is this, this suffering and this longing for something that you, you now have experienced apart from what you had before. So now why are you trying to, and again, I, I think that with these questions, a little bit of play on words, why do you want to suffer again with this, uh, the flesh, uh, the, uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 I think that, I think that's good. This is a different type of suffering that the Judaizers are calling the Galatians toward. And Paul says, no, there's a different suffering you've already experienced for the sake of the cross. Don't let that suffering be in vain. But see, that's the suffering we're supposed to rejoice in. I mean, so we rejoice in the suffering that God has given to us. And so when you get into the, the idea of pietism, it's about what I've done. And so I'm bringing my own suffering on. And so I'm trying to find my own cross to bear. Recrucifying Christ, Paul calls it. Yeah, you're saying that Jesus' death on the cross wasn't enough. <laughs> I got to add to it. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. Cut you off. No, that's good. Go ahead. Keep going. Pastor Apple. Oh, it's my turn. Fantastic. Yeah. Go. <laughs> Take us take us into the question that's asked in verse 5. And Pastor Ketchelmeyer, I think this is an important one, because in verse 5, the, the word miracles might catch our attention and the, the work of the Spirit in miracles. But as you pointed out already, the, the work of the Spirit's not separated from the Word, and you get that there in verse 5. So the, the one who supplies the Spirit was that, again, by the works of the law or by hearing through faith. You have the, the connection of the Spirit and hearing the Word again. Yeah. So again, here, when it says the one who supplies the spirit, how do you receive the Holy Spirit? It's through God's word. Uh, the Holy Spirit doesn't come apart from God's word. And so the, this this idea of miracles, I mean, we're not talking about these extra biblical signs and wonders necessarily here, right? Uh, the one who enables, the one who gives you the power, the dunamis, okay, the power to do uh, things. Is it the Holy Spirit who does this? Or are you, is it about you and about what you can do apart from the Holy Spirit? Is it the works of the law? that you could have done uh, as a Gentile by just hearing about the works of the law, but not hearing about faith, not hearing about the promise of the seed that's going to crush the serpent's head. So if you're just talking about external works and the ability to do things on the outside, that's not of the Holy Spirit. That I mean, anybody can do that. An unbeliever can do outside external works. But the internal work of the Holy Spirit that changes and converts the heart, giving you eyes to see Jesus and ears to hear the promises fulfilled in him, this is a different thing. Hmm. With that, let's go ahead and take our break right there, because starting in verse 6, Paul's going to really bring us into the Old Testament. He's going to talk about Abraham. He's going to quote from the book of Deuteronomy. We're going to get some Habakkuk in here. So we want to pick up that Old Testament context that Paul brings to bear on this argument on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Brian Ketchelmeyer and Pastor Dustin Beck this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. 
In the mid-19th century, German immigrants boarded ships to cross the Atlantic Ocean for a new land called America. Opportunity, unknown challenges, and preserving their Lutheran heritage awaited them after their months-long journey. Learn more about the humble beginnings of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in the latest issue of Interest Time. Visit interesttime.org to request your free copy. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, February 9th. We're studying Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 to 14 with Pastor Brian Ketchelmeyer, who serves at Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas, and Pastor Dustin Beck, who serves at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Also, welcome again to the live audience there at Faith Lutheran High School in Central Texas. Good to see all of you there to study the scriptures with us along with our radio audience. Pastors Beck and Ketchelmeyer... In verse 6, Paul quotes from the Old Testament. He says that all of this relates to the way that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Where is he quoting from? What's the point that he's going to make with that quote? Genesis chapter 15, of course. And so this is a God who gave the promise to Abraham. Uh, we, we start with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, and God is making this promise to him, calling him out of uh, Ur, of the Chaldeans, and calling him to the land of promise, where God gives the promise, that same promise that was given to Eve and Adam, uh, that the seed of the woman is going to crush the serpent's head. And so you're following and tracking the seed is from the family of Noah and now from the family of Abraham. Abraham. So this is the issue that, that God is going to promise Abraham, who has no children at this time, has no son, who has no heir, but your your descendants are going to be like the stars of the sky or the sand of the seashore. I mean, these are all these promises, all because of that one seed, the seed of the woman, which is going to be Jesus, who is born of the virgin in Bethlehem. He is the baby boy of joy. And so this is the promise that Abraham believes God and believes what God says to be true. And it's going to be in Abraham that all these nations are going to be blessed because of this, because of this promise that God gave to Adam and Eve in the beginning. So the whole Old Testament is all about that one promise, the seed of the virgin is going to crush the serpent's head. And when Abraham believes God, God reckons him righteous. That's the living Texan translation for all of our listeners in St. Louis. God accounts him righteous. God looks at him. Uh, and and when, when Abraham believes God, which again, as, as has been stated before the break, that faith comes by the Holy Spirit working through the word of God. So it's not like Abraham, you know, worked up this faith in, in himself or anything. But when he believes God, God then accounts him righteous. So Abraham is a, a case of he's not righteous is as righteous does, but righteous is as righteous believes. Right. He has the faith. Right. Um, and having which is a gift from God. And then once God gives him that faith then God accounts him righteous, you're righteous. You believe. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day and I said that it's like, you know, uh, God gives you the softball glove and then God throws you the softball. And, you know, he's placed your hand open right there. And, and you know, it, he's a really good shot. So he hits right there in the mitt and he goes, good catch. And you're like, but you did all the. Yeah, that's, that's a terrible analogy. I got to work on those. I, I just came back from Australia, and every other sentence they use there is "I reckon, I reckon, so I, reckon. I reckon." But uh, this is God who go reckons Abraham as righteous. But but we want to be clear: this is not an artificial righteousness. It's not like God says, "Well, you know what? I'm going to consider you righteous, even though I know you're really not." Yeah. So the issue is that you have to have 
one who alone is righteous, and that's Jesus. We have one who is the righteous one, and he's the one who knew no sin, but he becomes sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So it's not an artificial righteousness. It's right. not a pretend righteousness. It's not that God says, well, I just reckon that this is the case, but I know it's not. No, we are actually imputed. We are given the righteousness of Jesus that becomes ours by faith, just like the wickedness of our own sin becomes that as if it were Jesus on the cross, it becomes his. Right. So he becomes sin for us so that we would become righteous. And so this, this imputed, this reckoned, this declared, this righteousness that is now ours, it's a righteousness that did not come from us. It's an alien righteousness, it's an external sure. righteousness, but it's achieved by Jesus. So his achieved righteousness becomes ours by faith. And just one more case of what God says is reality. When God says, let there be light, there's light. When Jesus says, Lazarus, get up, the dead man gets up. And when Jesus, um, how does the, um, thy strong word, the hymn put it, thy strong word bespeaks us righteous. Yeah. When God says you are righteous, you are righteous. Yeah, it's not, it's not God pretending. I love that. That's great. In verse 7, Paul says then that those who have this same faith, they are the sons of Abraham. Why does it matter who the sons of Abraham are? This is so we can sing that song. Father Abraham, there you go, sons. I am one of them, and so are you. Right hand, left hand, left leg, right leg. Yeah, it's like the hokey pokey. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's more to it. Yeah, sure. So (laughs) that was a great answer, but there's actually more going on here. So um, Abraham, very famously, some of uh, some of you may remember, he actually has two sons, right? Um, he has one, and you'll you'll talk about this elsewhere in Galatians as well. But he has one who is this uh, the slave's child, one who was born um, because Abraham tried to figure it out on his own. He tried to have uh, he tried to make God's promises come true on his own terms, uh, and so uh, we had you know this case of surrogacy with Hagar, um, the Egyptian, and then you get Ishmael from that. Uh, but you know, remember that scene uh, when God shows up, and he's like, about a year from now, um, uh, you'll have a child by Sarah, your wife. And Abraham responds back and he goes, oh, that Ishmael might live under your presence or oh, that Ishmael might have your, your favor. And then God says no to all those people that say that God never says no when you pray to him. You know, God says no, Abraham, uh, by Sarah, will your child, will your offspring be named? Um, so there's the way of, of our wisdom, of our, you know, attempting to may uh, be righteous or our attempt to bring about God's uh, God's plans on our own terms. And then there's God is going to do what God is going to do. And that's uh, by working through his promise and through his means of, uh, you know, a hundred year old man and a 90 year old woman. Yeah, that's uh, that's miraculous. That's incredible. Uh, but we want to be sons of Abraham in the um, in the Isaac sense and not in the Ishmael sense. We want to be uh, sons, children of the promise. Um, and so it's the of faith ones. It's not the Judaizers who are in Paul's day who say, well, we've got Abraham's blood coursing through our veins and that's what matters most. It's always been about the faith and the promise, and it's never been just about the bloodline or anything like that. Hmm. So that reality allows the Gentiles to be included in this people of God, which is where Paul takes us next into verse 8. Pastor Ketchamano, dig into that for us with the inclusion of the Gentiles as sons of Abraham. 
Well, and this is what I was saying throughout the whole of the Old Testament. Whenever you see a conversion of the Gentiles, this is teaching us the doctrine of justification. Because a Gentile uh, is not going to be doing the things that are necessarily right in God's sight because they don't have God's word to direct them. And this is what is my will. Now, of course, they have natural law written on the heart, but then they get cultivated by the corrupted culture and then they start doing what's right in their own sight. And so when the Gentiles are, are doing the Gentile type things, that does not make them right. They are trying to worship God without God's word. And that's what idolatry is. So it's a man-made method of trying to make God merciful. And you can't make God merciful. He is merciful. And so the Gentiles, when a Gentile who's trying to make God merciful, all of a sudden is converted to faith. You can see it was not by his works, not by what he was doing to achieve righteousness, but instead it's what he receives, this, this promise that for the sake of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus is imputed to you. It's declared to be your own. It is credited to you. It is reckoned to be yours. So it is yours by faith. And so whenever we see the Gentiles converted, we see the person and work of Christ bringing in all nations and they're blessed in Abraham. And so Abraham, yes, is the father of many nations. He's the father of all who believe. And so that's the issue. It's not about being a physical descendant of Abraham, but it's about being a spiritual descendant of Abraham, one who believes his promise. Yeah, and we're, we've been talking about this a little bit uh, here at Faith in our Old Testament class uh, this year. Um, about the promise to Abraham and everything else. Of course, that's, that's going to be part of the curriculum. Uh, but as we're walking through it, um, it's really easy for us to, uh, to lose sight of, uh, a part of the promise. Yes, we know that Abraham's going to have descendants that outnumber, uh, you know, the grains of sand on, on, on the shore or the stars in the sky. Yes, we know that God is going to give to Abraham's descendants the land that is, that is there, right? But, um, we all, we always seem to forget. And I think it's a convenient thing, uh, for Israel in the Old Testament to forget this. Um, and maybe for us to forget it sometimes as well is that through Abraham and through his offspring, all the families of the world, all the nations of the world will be blessed. The Abraham promise and the Abrahamic covenant has always been a missionary focused covenant. It's always about bringing people into the people of God. And so we've been trying as we've gone through various parts of the Old Testament so far, we've seen how, you know, Rahab is is grafted in. We've seen uh, how Ruth is grafted in. We see all of these folks that they, they have almost no business being a part of God's people, uh, certainly not if it's by blood, but then they're brought in because they believe the promise. I, I just think that that's beautiful. I think that's something that uh, very clearly, you know, Israel and the Judaizers, they forgot about this missionary nature of the Abrahamic promise. Um, but that's, that's ultimately what Jesus came to do. And that's why it shouldn't be a surprise when Jesus says, go make disciples of all the nations, because they were already supposed to be a part of this, and now it's it's being made explicitly clear for you. So yeah, it's a it's a missionary program. I like it. Paul has quoted there again from Galatians, not Galatians, Genesis chapter twelve in verse eight. In you shall all the nations be blessed, and he picks up on that word of blessing in verse nine. Those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, who is the man of faith. And then he, he makes the contrast to the blessing with the curse as he moves forward into verse 10. And he's going to quote again from the Old Testament. So if there's any more comments on, on verse 9, please make them. But otherwise, move us into verse 10 in the way that Paul now starts to contrast curse and blessing. Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, the way that you, uh, that you, uh, let on or left off there, that's the point that needs to be made for this entire, probably for this entire letter is, um, by faith or by works of the law. 
And uh, you see all of the different times here that he is just drawing this distinction between the two that you can't have it both ways or you can't be, you know, kind of squishy in the middle where it's like, well, I mean, yeah, you should probably be doing more works of the law, you know, uh, and that kind of a thing. You know, hey, um, Paul says um, there's the blessing that comes by faith. There's the curse that comes by works um, and everything about this. I mean, if you're going to be children of Abraham, um, you are going to be the of faith ones. I mean, there's there's a category, the of works of the law people and the of faith people um, in which camp, you know, uh, do you want to uh, to find yourself? You foolish Galatians Had to get that yeah. one there. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so the of faith people are the ones who would have the blessing of Abraham. Right. The of works, the of the law of the flesh people are the ones who would be under a curse. But why does he say that those who rely on the works of the law are under a curse? Where is he where is he taking us in the Old Testament there? Well, a curse to anyone who doesn't fulfill all the words of the law. I mean, so this is the issue is that the blessing comes from God's word. I mean, when, when we look at Genesis chapter one and God creates everything by speaking it into existence, God blesses everything by speaking a blessing, be fruitful and multiply. And that, of course, is duplicated with Noah and then is duplicated with Abraham. So when El Shaddai comes to Abraham, it's to multiply. I mean, so remember, El Shaddai, multiply. I mean, this is the idea that God is the one who is the God of life, and it's his word that gives life, his word that gives a physical life, his word that gives a spiritual life. But if you don't listen to that word, if you reject that word, then you're going to be separated from God. And when you're separated from God, you're separated from life. And so you're under this curse. And so the whole hearing of the law, I mean, sometimes in the Old Testament, we, we translate this as being obedient, of obeying. Hmm. But really, the whole issue is hearing, hearing God's word. And if you hear it, rejoice in God's voice, you're blessed because God's word blesses. But if you reject it, then you're cursed. Right. And I, I, I love the way that you put that, um, hearing God's word. Uh, I like to draw this distinction with my kids. Um, there's a difference between hearing and listening, right? Um, can you hear me? You know, uh, are you listening to me? Those are two different things. And this listening to that's, I think that's the one that we're talking about here is actually listening to God's word. Actually, um, that, that word impacting is actually implanting, you know, inside of us and then, and then it having effect on us. Um, one of the things uh, he quotes Deuteronomy 27, uh, verse 26 here, when he talks about cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Um, you know, I was, I was thinking about this. I went back and forth about it and I, I had a couple of thoughts bouncing around. One of them is, um, Luther, at one point in uh, the Heidelberg Disputation, he makes this comment that the law says do this and it is never done, right? And that's not just to say that we don't ever do what God asks of us, but it's to say that the law is never finished with us. Um, if you're going to live by the law, then you will never finish checking off boxes. You'll never finish crossing everything off of the to-do list that the law has for you. Um, and, and isn't this just a, isn't this a crafty trap of the devil? Because if we're being, if we're being real blunt here, right, the law, Another way of saying that is God's will for his creation, right? And I'm not just talking about the ceremonial law that the Jews were, uh, you know, Jews and before them Israel that they were supposed to walk in. But if we boil it down to, you were talking about natural law, you know, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. If we say that the law of God is God's will, what he wants to happen in creation, that's actually good stuff, right? Like not murdering and, and lying and cheating and stealing and things like that. Uh, but the devil uses those good things, 
and he almost kind of uh, it's it's like a, a wrestler that can you know push you out of the the, the circle or whatever they're I don't know what I'm not a wrestler they can push you or they can use your own momentum coming at them and they can pull you out past them it's like the devil uses this good thing that's like okay I'm I'm a Christian now so I get to love my neighbor okay. And the devil says, yeah, and you need to trust in that. You need to say, you know, you need to say, how am I doing at that? How's that working out for me? As I think Dr. Phil, you know, anecdotally used to say or whatever, how, you know, how am I doing at working? How am I doing at loving my neighbor? And so the devil takes the good things that God expects of us. And he actually uses those to do damage to our conscience and to our faith. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. That was a, that was a rabbit trail a little bit, but I think that's a little bit of what's going on here is. You know, they've got the faith and then all of a sudden there's some kind of a distraction over here to take their eyes off of Jesus and say, you should focus on that instead. Well, this whole idea of the law is never completed. Yeah. You know, it's never fulfilled perfectly. And there's always more to do. You know, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul. OK, you say I did that. OK, but now you got to do it again. I did it well, no, <laughs> every single day forever, <laughs> yeah, forever, forever. But that's the irony earlier when you started with the spirit. But now you're going to you're going to complete it. You're going to fulfill it. You're I've gonna got finish it. it. I'll take it from here. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to go under the law, you're going to be condemned. Yeah. So Absolutely. if you're under the law, you're under the condemnation of the law. You're under the curse of the law. I mean, going back to that, that passage of Deuteronomy chapter 27, this is where you are to hear the voice of exactly. God. You're to rejoice in the voice. And it just, it's the whole litany of cursed are those who don't do this. Cursed are, and you're going to say, amen. <laughs> yes, it's so. And so the people are gathering and say, yes, it is so, meaning that you can never complete this perfectly and absolutely here in this life, in the flesh. Now, the righteous do not live by the law, Paul says. Instead, they live by faith. And he makes his point by quoting from the prophet Habakkuk, which I think he's your favorite prophet, right, Pastor Beck? No, the notes that I sent to you said this is my favorite verse in the book of Habakkuk. <laughs> I won't tell Habakkuk you said that. Okay, fair. <laughs> but this isn't the only time that Paul talks this way. I mean, that's right. Uh, everybody, uh, most folks will probably remember that this is, this is sort of his, his proof text or his, his scriptural citation for the main thesis in the book of Romans. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to all who believe. And then he goes on and he, and he talks about, for just as the prophet says, right? Um, he says, the righteous live by faith. Okay. And that living isn't just coming to life in the, uh, in the, the new birth that we have, uh, of, of faith and of, of the spirit and baptism, but it's living. It's a, a continuing, ongoing thing. That happens by faith. That doesn't happen by what you do or by, you know, uh, God's going to get you started and then you got to keep it going. That's just not the way that Christ speaks. Well, I think what Paul's doing here, which I, I think is fascinating, is he's taking from Moses. So we always want to take from Moses first. Sure. And so Moses in Genesis chapter 15 is teaching us this doctrine of justification very right. clearly, that uh, that Abraham is reckoned righteous because he has trusted in the promise of God that's fulfilled in the son, the seed of the woman that's going to crush the servant's head. When you get to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, like all the other prophets, they are speaking in unison of voice with Moses. So they're not speaking a new teaching. They're not speaking something different, but they are speaking in unison of voice when they are waiting for the seed. They're waiting for this to happen. So in Habakkuk 2, the whole issue is, when's this going to happen? I mean, we've been waiting. We've right. been waiting. Uh, we went from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Judah to David, but now we don't have the, the promised seed. When's the promised seed going to happen? And so in Habakkuk 2, the issue is the vision. 
I mean, the vision, meaning the vision of Christ, not the extra biblical vision, not something outside the word of God, but the word of God that is confirmed Habakkuk when Habakkuk sees it as a prophet, a seer, he sees what Yahweh wants him to see so that the people can see the same thing. The Yahweh is not slow to fulfill his promise. He will fulfill his promise his own time. And so in Habakkuk chapter two, uh, Habakkuk is saying, look, everything's falling apart in, in this whole society. I mean, this whole culture, the whole kingdom, everything's gone. Well, aren't you going to do something about this? And he says, hey, the vision. Look again. <laughs> Look again at the seed that's going to crush the serpent's head. Wait. It will happen. If he hastens to the end, don't worry. I'm not lying. He's going to come. It, it, wait. Wait. If it seems slow, wait. He will surely come. I think we abstract this when we translate this into English and say it will come. Yeah. It's not about it. It's about he. It's about Jesus. He's the one that we are to see. That's the one that all the prophets set our eyes upon. And so the contrast in, in Habakkuk chapter 2 at verse 4 is behold the opposite. Okay, so now I want you to see the opposite of one who does not believe in this. That one, his soul is puffed up. He is not upright within him. He does not have the righteousness by faith. So that's the unbeliever. But the believer who waits on the Lord and the promise that will be fulfilled in the Lord's timing, this is the one who is righteous before God. So are you saying that Paul now has called on two witnesses? Yes. He's called on Moses and now he's called on Habakkuk. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. The testimony of two witnesses. <laughs> so he's, he's going to bring us back to Moses here after going to Habakkuk. And because we're running short on time, I want to make sure that we get to verses 13 and 14. I'm, I'm loving the conversation here. He gives us Moses again in verse 12. He quotes from Leviticus. Then he goes again to Moses in verse 13. He goes to Deuteronomy and returns especially to this idea of the curse. And you guys were talking earlier about 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Christ becomes sin so that we could be the righteousness of God. Here you have Christ taking on the curse so that we can receive the blessing. Uh, we got about five minutes here. Dig into those last two verses with the curse and the blessing. Okay, yeah. I'll get it started, and then I'll uh, let Pastor Kachemeyer finish up. Yeah, when Jesus becomes a curse for us, it's it's as if you know God has laid all of the sin of, of all of mankind, of all of history, and all of the future on Jesus. That's, uh, that's how Jesus becomes a curse for us. Um, it's not so much that he is cursed because he is crucified, uh, but he is the cursed one. He is the one who is hanged on that tree for you and for me. Um, Paul just, he uses, he pulls this, this verse, you know, like you said, out of Deuteronomy about being, you know, cursed uh, for being hung on a tree. This would usually be uh, when someone was stoned to death, but then sort of as a billboard to other people to not do that, they would put them up on a tree or something like that. And they weren't supposed to leave them out over the overnight and all this kind of stuff. Um, but when Jesus goes to the cross, he's doing more than just, um, you know, bearing scorn and shame and everything else. He's actually bearing uh, the forsakenness of, of God, his father. Um, he's actually taking all of this, uh, this anguish and this hurt that should have been on us. And he's taking that unto himself. So he, uh, Paul has a, a masterful way of talking about the curse that comes by living under the law. And then the fact that Jesus has already become that curse for us. So why on earth would you guys want to go back to doing that law business? Why would you go back to want to go back to that thing that can bring nothing but curse? Well, and that's the whole issue in Deuteronomy that we've been talking about, where the people of God are receiving the word of God. Yeah. And they're they're saying, amen, 
cursed am I if I don't do this? Amen. <laughs> cursed am I if I don't do this? And here you have a Gentiles convert and say, well, why would you want to join in that song when we have a different song? We have been freed from the curse of the law because in the very book that talks about the curse, there's one who became a curse for us. And so that's the whole issue. You don't want to go back to the law and you and your own works and your own efforts try to make yourself blessed before God by blessing yourself. Instead, you know that the blessed one, the righteous one, became a curse for us so that in him we would become blessed. We can't, we can't downplay, uh, we should not downplay that, those two little words for us, right? That's what makes this gospel, not just that Jesus went to the cross and that was really bad for him, but that he did this for us. I think that's, that's the, the gospel for us right here. And so the issue here for us in our stead, yeah. in our place, Absolutely. he becomes the curse. Because if you go through that list and say, cursed is everyone who doesn't do this, I'm going, well, wait, that's me. Wait a minute. <laughs> hold up. Hold up. That's me. But instead of me, it's Jesus who takes that curse. He becomes a curse for us. Yeah, you understand it. So in verse 14, then, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham comes now to the Gentiles that we receive the promised spirit through faith. What is this blessing of Abraham that comes to the Gentiles with about two minutes here in the morning? Well, it's 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 faith in Christ. That's uh, Paul talks over and over again. I think it's something like 16 times about he mentions the spirit coming to us. Right. Uh, this promised spirit. And how is that promised spirit received through faith? That's that's the whole picture for Paul is that if you've if you've lost the spirit, if you've got if you've moved on from the spirit and you're now ready to be, you know, something else or to do something else and you forget about the spirit, forget about the faith in in, in God that uh, that is illuminated and is given to us and spoken to us in his word. You forget about that. You've lost it all. I think that's that's my uh, last word for the moment. Uh, Pastor Ketchmeyer. Uh, again, you know, when Paul's teaching, let's say he's teaching a dogmatic uh, kind of a, a textbook on yeah. the doctrine of, of justification, the article of justification. He says, OK, here the article of justification. And now I'm going to give you this account of Abraham. Abraham did nothing that made him right in God's sight. Yeah. It didn't make him righteous by what he did. It was not an achieved righteousness, which again shows to us the doctrine of justification. It's through faith alone, not by the efforts of Abraham. It's not like God looked through all of humanity and says, wow, look at this guy, Abraham. This guy is really above the rest, and he's worshiping me rightly. He's not. <laughs> he's, he's, he's filled with idolatry like everybody else who worships without God's word. And so again, when you see the conversion of the Gentiles, you see that in Abraham, and you see that in the converted Gentiles in Galatia, that they have been brought to faith, which teaches the doctrine of justification. Pastor Beck, help us to wrap things up this morning on this wonderful text from Galatians 3. Well, there's uh, two ways uh, that you can go about this, right? You can go about it by uh, believing in Jesus, or you can go about it by uh, you got to have Jesus and something else. Right. Uh, Jesus died for you, but now you got to get busy working. You got to get busy um, making what Jesus has done, not something that, you know, is, is going to have no meaning. So you got to really get get moving and get cranking. And that way is the wrong way. It's about Jesus only. It's about Jesus uh, who came, took on our flesh, lived a perfect life in our place. He bore our sins on the cross. He was dead and buried. And on the third day, he rose again. Uh, and, and now that he lives and reigns forever, he's in heaven as our great brother and interceder, our, our great high priest. And so it starts and it ends with Jesus. If we take our eyes off of Jesus, we are bewitched. We are fools. Uh, we've completely missed the point of what Paul and what the other apostles are delivering to us. Um, and we're outside of salvation. And that's the danger here uh, that the Galatians are under. 
Yeah, and so Paul calls them to stay true to the one true gospel that is in Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, ascended for sinners. Pastor Dustin Beck serves at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Pastor Beck, thanks for being our guest this morning. Oh, it's my pleasure. And Pastor Brian Ketchemeyer serves at Crown of Life Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. Pastor Ketchemeyer, thanks for joining us today. Oh, it was a blessing. Blessings to our friends there at Faith Lutheran High School as you round up those Lutheran writers and listen to the joys of God's Word from them. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Galatians 3, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It is always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.